Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 33rd program in this series. I'm in John chapter 7, and in John chapter 7, Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. During this festival, he was expected to be there for eight days. In the middle of the feast, he was found in the temple in Jerusalem where he was teaching the people. Some of the people appreciated what he was saying. Other people did not. Those who did not appreciate what he was saying were rabbis and officers and rulers there in the temple compound. In the previous program, I explained how they expressed their contempt towards him and that he responded to them by effectively telling them that they were irrelevant, that they simply did not understand what he was saying because They were not willing to acknowledge the truth, and they were clearly not willing to have an honest conversation with him about the truth because they were denying the fact that they were looking for ways to have him killed. And even the people there in the temple recognized that that was the case. In verse 25, they said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? And yet they were saying, well, who's seeking to kill you? I don't see anybody around here. That was in verse 20. And so they were not willing to have an honest conversation with the Lord Jesus. Now, in verse 28, Jesus cried out. In verse 28, it says, Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him For I am from him, and he sent me. So he effectively tells the people, look, you don't know the God who I know. You don't know him. You do not have a relationship with him. You do not know him, and you do not know his truth. And that is why he has sent me. I know him. And he has sent me, and there is no confusion about who I am. You know exactly where I have come from, and you know me as a person who contributes to this society. I have a role in this society, and I participate in people's lives. You can check up on me, but I am telling you that not only do you know where I am from, but you also do not know where I am from in the sense that I have come from God. So you know me as a person who has a place here in the nation of Israel, and you can identify what community I come from. But there is another place that I come from, and that is from the kingdom of heaven. And that was his way of expressing to them that he was God manifested in the flesh, and that he has come to them to speak to them. 
but he has done so as a man. As a man, he presents himself as a representative of the living God. Now, this gives them an opportunity to make a choice with regards to what they are going to believe. They can believe the truth that he is conveying, or they can reject the truth that he is conveying as a representative of God. If he presented himself as God personally, then their response to what he was saying could very well be different if he manifested in a godly way doing the God thing in a sense or in a way that it would be undeniable that they were in the presence of the living God. If he did that, then they would not be able to choose in the same way. They would choose whatever he was saying because clearly this is God. But when he presents himself as a representative of himself, as a representative, then they can make a choice on the basis of are they going to believe the truth or are they going to reject the truth? So God is interested in finding people who want to live in the truth, who want to live in reality, not people who will just respond to the overwhelming evidence of his presence. He wants people who want to live in the truth. But the religious leaders there at the temple were not willing to live in the truth. They were not willing to acknowledge the truth that was being presented by the Lord Jesus, first and foremost, that they did not obey the law, that they were not successful at living in obedience to the law. They were not willing to acknowledge that truth. But it was undeniable. The evidence was overwhelming to show that they were not perfect. And Jesus pointed a few things out to them. So this created a conflict. A conflict in the sense that the religious leaders were being exposed. They were exposed. And the people were starting to figure this out. So the religious leaders have to find a solution to this. They can either concede that Jesus is telling the truth. They can repent, believe in him, trust in him, rely on him, and embrace the covenant that is going to go into effect as a result of his ministry. They can do that. Or they have to find some way to get rid of him because that's the only alternative. Somebody is going to be in the position of authority. And if the people are no longer looking at the religious leaders as the authority, but they are going to start to turn their attention to Jesus as the authority, then someone is going to have to go. It's either the religious leaders or it's Jesus. Only one person or group of people can be in charge. And if the people who are competing for being in charge don't agree with each other, then the only resolution is that one of them, either a person or the group, is going to have to step aside or be removed. There can only be one authority. There cannot be a competing form of authority there in the land. And so it's either Jesus or them. And their decision was to reject what Jesus was teaching. Therefore, they would have to find a way to get rid of him. The people were beginning to believe the Lord Jesus. In verse 31, it says, And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, 
Will he do more signs than these which this man has done? This was an issue. It was a big issue. Many of the people were accepting what Jesus was saying as the truth. Therefore, going back up to verse 30, therefore, the religious leaders sought to take him. It says, therefore, they sought to take him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. They sought to seize him, to take him, which means that they are going to take him somewhere else. They looked for a way to have him physically removed because their entire existence, their role in society, everything that they were doing depended on the people. They needed the people to be there to provide the sacrifices, the offerings, the taxes, everything. They needed the people. That's what they depended on. If they don't have people to teach, if they don't have people to provide services for, well, then they have no relevance. If they have no people to rule over, then they are not rulers. If they have no people to teach, then they are not teachers. Jesus was taking their people away. That's what he was doing. And so skipping ahead to verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Officers were sent to take him. You know, guys with swords were sent over to Jesus to arrest him and physically relocate him to someplace else, anywhere else but there in the temple. Now, in order to do that, they need to have a reason. They have to have some reason, some cause, some justification in order to accomplish this. But what was Jesus' crime? What did he do that was wrong? What did he do that was a violation of the law? He didn't do anything. He has done nothing that would justify him being seized and physically removed. But you can tell here that they don't care. They just want him out of there. They want him to be physically taken out of there, and it doesn't matter what he did or what he said. Just send some officers, send some guys with swords over to him, and have him forcibly removed. When he is removed, then there can be a discussion with regards to what he did or what he said. And if he didn't do anything or say anything that would justify that, then fine. So let him go. But in the meantime, let's punish him for being a problem here. And the punishment will be, we'll just have you physically removed, even though it may only last for a short period of time. This is what you get. We have this power to do this to you, to force you to go to someplace else, and so we're going to do it. And when it all gets worked out, nothing will happen, fine. But you will remember. You will. You'll remember that we can have you forcibly removed just because we don't like what you're saying. And you will recognize that we are the power here, that we are the authority here. But when the officers went to go and arrest him, they didn't take him. Because what was he saying that would justify that? 
They went to him and they listened to what he had to say. They observed what he was doing. And he did nothing that would justify them seizing him. His time had not yet come. There would be a time when this would happen, but that would happen later under different circumstances, under different conditions, under the condition of a false accusation. But in this case, the officers go to him and pay attention to what he has to say. So when the officers went back, if I move ahead in John chapter 7 to verse 44, it says, Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him, referring to the rulers who were there in the temple. In verse 45, Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. In other words, you got to listen to what he has to say. You sent us over to seize him with swords. You sent us over to seize him because of what he was saying. All right, well, you know, nobody has ever spoken like this guy before. In other words, they don't explicitly state why they did not arrest Jesus and take him to a different location, bring him to them. They don't say why. They just say, hey, you know, this guy talked like no one has ever talked before. It was a way of saying that Jesus did not say anything that would justify his arrest, and this is their defense to the rulers who sent them. Now they've come back empty-handed, and their defense to the rulers was, well, you know, let's have a conversation about this. What did he say? What did he do? Well, he didn't do anything yet. In verse 47, then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. In other words, nothing. They don't say anything except Jesus is talking about the law, perhaps, in a way that is contrary to what we say about the law. Well, that's not a crime. There's no justification for the officers to seize Jesus under these circumstances. And so there is an internal conflict between the officers and the rulers such that the officers are not willing to arrest Jesus because he hasn't done anything that would justify that. Now, what were some of the things that Jesus said when the officers went to go and arrest him? Go back to verse 33. In John chapter 7, verse 33, Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then... I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now think about this for just a second. He is teaching in the temple. And the religious rulers want him to be removed from the temple because he's he's talking to the people. The people are starting to believe in him and they're going to turn to him as the authority instead of to them as the authority. They need to get rid of him. And the officers are sent to go and arrest him. And what does Jesus say? 
He says, I'm going to be with you for a little while longer and then I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And where I'm going, you can't even follow me. You can't even go where I'm going. Don't worry. I'm leaving and you will not be able to find me or go to wherever I am. And you would think that that would be a reasonable solution. The rulers want him out of there. They go so far as to send guys with swords to get him out of there. And then he says, don't worry, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going to leave real soon. It's going to happen. So you would think that they would be happy. You would think that they would be thankful. You would think that that would be the end of the issue, that they could just wait it out. Wait him out. Don't worry. He has assured us that he is leaving. And of course, he says that he's teaching the truth, that he's telling the truth. So this must be the truth. And if it is, we just have to leave him alone because he's going to go. Not only is he going to leave, but he's going to go someplace that we can't even find him. That's how far away he is going to go. And you would think that they would be okay with that and that this would be a solution. But it's not. They say, now, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a minute. Where do you think you're going? In verse 35. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Who cares? Why are they continuing this? It has to do with the fact that they are contentious and they must have a victory. There are lots of people like this. Lots of people who live this way, who have relationships with other people in this way. This is a characteristic of some people that no matter what, they just have to win. They just have to feel that they are victorious, that they have conquered you, that they have punished you for what you have done. No, Jesus, you can't leave. You can't go somewhere that we can't find you because we're not done with you yet. We need to make sure that you suffer for what you have done. We're not going to just let you walk away and leave, even to go to a place that will never find you. We're not going to let that happen. So you would think that they would be perfectly fine with him assuring them that he was going to be out of there. But no, that was not what they wanted. They wanted him to hurt. They wanted him to suffer. They really did. Because of what he did, there must be some compensation of some kind. And this would mean that Jesus would have to suffer until they felt satisfied. Now, how much suffering would that be? Well, that would just depend on them. It would depend on what they would be satisfied with. How much suffering would Jesus have to endure until they felt good? Well, that was relatively well known because they wanted him dead. That's how much. And so from their point of view, he says he's going to leave. Don't worry, he's leaving. And from their point of view, oh, no, oh, no, we want to make sure that you are dead. That's what we want. 
And so that's why it says in verse 35 that they continued the conversation. They continued the dialogue. Oh, no, no, let's keep talking about this. You say you're going to go someplace that we can't go. Well, sure enough, he was going to go to the kingdom of heaven. That's where he was going to go. He was going to go to the true temple, the true tabernacle of God. That's where he was going to go. And they would not be able to go there because they were not willing to embrace the truth of who he is, where he has come from, who he represents, and the truth that he is expressing to them. Mainly, that they are not living in obedience to the Mosaic Law. The consequence of that would be that their only hope of ever having a place in the kingdom of heaven was to receive the grace and mercy of God, to receive the forgiveness of God and the restoration of the Holy Spirit through his forgiveness, through his graciousness. That was their only hope. And they were not willing to believe that. They were wanting to depend on themselves, on their own works, on their own repentance, on their own obedience. They wanted to be judged according to their works, according to the standard of the law. It was religious pride. That's what it was. It was religious pride. And their pride was of such magnitude that they were not willing to embrace the grace and mercy and the forgiveness of God because they felt that they had found a way to earn their place in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus made it clear to them that if that is the case, they are never going to make it. They disagreed with him. But that didn't matter. It didn't matter what they thought. What they thought was irrelevant. What they believed was irrelevant What God thinks and what he believes and what he knows is what is relevant. And they either surrender to the truth of God or they will not have a place in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 36, they ask, what is this thing that he said? You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. That's all they can do is just ask the question, what is this thing? It makes no sense because for it to make sense, we have to concede that we need the grace and mercy of God. That's the only way that this can make sense. But that is unacceptable because we do not need the grace and mercy of God because we have the law and we will keep the law. And God will see that we are righteous because we obey him. That's what they believed. They really believed that. So when Jesus told them that they didn't obey the law, this was God's way of reaching out to them personally to appeal to them and say, listen, you better pay attention. You better take this seriously because if you don't, You will not be saved. You will not have a place with me in the true temple of God. They were in a copy. They were in an imitation of the true temple of God. This was not the real holy place of God. The real holy place was where Jesus went 
and where Jesus stayed, and He is there waiting for all who will ever believe and trust in Him. And one day, He will bring an end to what is happening here on earth, and all that will remain will be that which is eternal in the kingdom of heaven. And so they will certainly succeed at some point. They will have him killed, but that will be the transition such that the new covenant goes into effect and he will go to that place where they cannot go. John follows this up in verse 37 with a description of the gospel. In verse 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so John follows this up with the last day of the feast and Jesus proclaiming the giving of the Holy Spirit, which is the means by which a person could follow him and go to the kingdom of heaven where he is going. Thank you for listening. This is the 33rd program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 7, verses 28 through 36. Jesus was in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, and there were some people who believed in him because of what he was saying, because of what he was teaching. As a result, many of the rulers believed that they needed to deal with him, and so they sent officers to have him arrested, to have him removed from the temple. The officers did not remove him from the temple because he wasn't saying anything that would justify his arrest. He told the officers and the rulers that he would be leaving soon, that he would leave and he would go to a place where they would not be able to find him. But they did not consider that to be an acceptable solution. They wanted him to suffer for speaking to the people and telling them things that were contrary to what the religious leaders wanted them to believe. And I will continue with this in the next program. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net you